0: Can you guys hear this? Okay, there it is. Now we're on. Okay. (laughs) All right. Here we go. Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Our text today is going to be taken from the reading in the Gospel of Luke this morning. Uh, Let's begin then with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we do give you thanks that you have gathered us here into your uh, communion, that you have brought us out of darkness and into the marvelous light of your Son, Jesus Christ. We pray this day, Lord, uh, that you would keep us faithful to you in all things. Uh, we pray that you would uh, help us to hear your word in faith. And now, Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's start with a question here this morning uh, uh, Who here has ever witnessed an exorcism? Oh, I thought you were going to raise your hand. I was all excited. Like, really? (laughs) Uh, No, okay. I didn't think so. I didn't think we would have anybody here who had actually seen an exorcism before. But now when I say exorcism, I'm not talking about, you know, uh, those things you see in the movies where it's kind of scary and over the top. No, that's not what we're talking about. Uh, Just a normal, everyday exorcism. Has anybody seen one of those? Now, I'm going to venture to guess. Yeah, you have. We'll get the testimony later. All right. I would actually venture to guess all of you have, whether you know it or not. In fact, I'm going to go so far as to say this morning that all of you have experienced an exorcism, whether you realize it or not. We call this experience uh, in our church baptism. All right. Oh, gotcha. Now, see, uh, it comes down to how do you define exorcism? If you're defining it uh, like you see in the movies where girls are floating off of beds and their heads spin around and they spit out demonic bile, then no, perhaps we've not seen that. And it is kind of a strange juxtaposition to talk about baptism uh, and exorcism together. After all, in baptism, we don't usually see a lot of uh, floating demonic activity, but we just see cute babies, right? And white gowns and happy families, and it's a cute, delightful, happy little experience. Uh, but the reality is, is that when a child is baptized, They are actually, an an adult is baptized. When anyone's baptized, what's happening is they are being transferred out of the the dominion of darkness that is out of uh, the, the territory of the devil and being brought into the kingdom of the Son God loves in whom we have redemption of the forgiveness of sins. So if you define exorcism in like the movie sort of way, we probably haven't seen those before. But if we define exorcism as being set free from the tyranny of the devil, then we've all experienced it. Uh, When we were baptized or when we came to faith in Jesus Christ. In fact, I don't know if you realize this, but in the old baptism liturgies, what they actually used to do is they would perform an exorcism before they would baptize. It was actually pretty cool. Uh, If it was a baby or even an adult, they would take the child and then you breathe on the child. Remember when Jesus in the upper room breathes the Holy Spirit onto people? Uh, You would breathe on the child and then you would proclaim that they are one redeemed by Jesus Christ the crucified and you would make the sign of the cross both upon their forehead and upon their heart. Now we still do that. If you see a baptism here, we still make the sign of the cross upon the forehead and upon the heart to mark that person as one who was redeemed by Jesus Christ. But redeemed from what? Redeemed from the tyranny of the devil. I had a great illustration of this happening once. I did a baptism in my former congregation in Moorpark, and we had this child up there, and she was not having it. She got up there, and she started freaking out. Usually, you get their heads wet, and that's when they start crying, but this was the opposite. Like, she was up front, and she was freaking out and wiggling all over the place, and she couldn't handle anything. And I know, like, her parents couldn't settle her down, and then they hand her to me, and I was afraid I was going to drop her because she was moving so much. You know, and I didn't have a microphone, thank goodness, at that point. Uh, And we're trying to hold the baby, and finally, I get her, and I say, I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And she's wigging out, and she's crying until the water hits her head, and then, boom! silence she looks at me and she starts giggling it was it was like it was like the most glorious thing and i don't want to say like i watched a demon leave her at that moment but uh, it was it was pretty remarkable moment you are this exorcism you have this baptism she was now a child of god freed from the tyranny of satan see this is what happens though when jesus shows up Satan's tyranny is removed. This is what happens when the Lord begins to do his work. Evil and the devil cannot stand it. Jesus just drives them away. He drives the demons crazy. And this is exactly what we see taking place today in our reading from the Gospel of Luke which is really one of those truly delightful accounts uh, that we have of Jesus' life in the Scriptures. Now, before we get into the account, we need to do a little Bible study here this morning. You need to know a little bit of background to fully grasp what is taking place here in the text. As you may or may not know, in the Old Testament, there are a number of laws that are laid out, defining things that are clean versus things that are unclean. Things that are clean uh, are allowed to be in the presence of God and to worship within the community of God. And those things which are rendered unclean are not allowed to be in the presence of God and they're not allowed to worship uh, with the people of God. Okay? And there's a number of things in this world, there's a whole list of them in the book of Leviticus, that would render somebody unclean. Among those things that would render you unclean, Gentiles, non-Jewish people, Because non-Jewish people would eat non-kosher food. And if they're touching those things and then they touch you, you now suddenly have uncleanliness on you. So Gentile people would render somebody unclean. Uh, Other things. uh, Pigs. Speaking of kosher meals. You know, uh, according to the kosher laws, you cannot eat pork. A pig is considered an unclean animal. Other things that might render somebody unclean. Uh, Dead bodies, much like you would find in tombs. Uh, If you touch one of those or near one of those, you could be rendered unclean. And finally, uh, demons, which are also sometimes if we translate this a little bit better in our English translations, uh, you would call them unclean spirits. Why? Because they're things that would prevent you from being in the presence of God. So these are all sort of things that would render somebody unclean and would mean you couldn't worship in God's presence and you couldn't be among the people of God. So the disciples were probably a little bit surprised when Jesus woke up one day and said, hey guys, we're going on a field trip, all right? We're going to a Gentile graveyard next to the pig farm. This is where we're going to go spend our day. Uh, They're not really sure what to do with all of this. But nonetheless, all of this stuff which would render somebody unclean according to their laws, when, that would keep you from the presence of God, when God puts on flesh and shows up in this world, he runs headlong right into it. He's not going to let that stuff keep him from the people he loves. And so Jesus comes into this sort of unclean territory, this, this tomb, this graveyard, uh, with a man who's living there, and this man is filled with demons. And the demons see Jesus coming, and they're none too happy about this. And so the man runs up to Jesus, and the demons cry out, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. In other words, what are you doing here? You can't come in the presence of this stuff. This is our stuff. We've made it very unclean and we're very happy with the chaos we have created and you're going to ruin all of it. You can't be here. Go back to your side of town. Get out of here. Go back to the other side of the lake. We don't want you here among us. But here's the deal with Jesus. Turns out he's not too interested in the opinions of demons about where they think he can and cannot go. Now, a couple quick side notes here. It is interesting to see how the demons tremble when they recognize Jesus, where they recognize his authority while everybody else kind of in the Gospels at this point isn't quite sure what to do with Jesus. But the demons know him, and they're terrified of him because they know that his presence actually means their judgment and their condemnation. And they're terrified that he's come to cast them into hell for all of eternity. And so they tell him, listen, it's not our time yet you got to wait. You can't do it yet. It's not our time. And what we'll see in a moment, Jesus listens to that. But these demons are terrified of him. Now, Jesus asks them, just to consider the power we have in Christ, the power that Christ himself has, Jesus approaches the demons and says, what is your name? And the demon says, legion, for we are many. Legion was a term used to describe Roman uh, military cohorts of five to 6,000 soldiers. So what you have here is this guy, uh, he probably wasn't playing very nice in Sunday school or something. I'm not quite sure, but he was possessed by like a myriad of demons, 5 to 6,000 demons potentially are possessed in this guy. It's kind of crazy, and nobody could control the guy. They would bind him with chains. Uh, They would tie him up. They would do all these things to keep him in check, and he would break out of all of it. The demons were so powerful. He would break these chains, and then the demons would carry him off into the wilderness, probably to cause him to suffer. I mean, it's actually a very terrifying scene. And this guy was suffering a a great deal until the horror of the demons arrives, and Jesus is on the scene. And now notice what Jesus does here. The demons plead for mercy. Their day of judgment has not yet come. It will come, as we mentioned. They will suffer an eternity, uh, in hell for all of eternity. But their time is not yet. And so they plead with Jesus. They say, don't cast us out into the abyss yet. Send us off into the pigs. They see the pigs uh, feasting nearby, uh, farming, the, the pig farm nearby. And they say, cast us into those pigs. Now again, those pigs were considered unclean by Jewish law, both for eating, but you should also know, Uh, that oftentimes these pigs, their blood would be used in pagan ritual sacrifices. So there's a lot of problems with these pigs. The demons see the pigs and say, hey, send us into those. And Jesus graciously abides by that. He says, sure. And he sends them off into the pigs. And now what happens? The pigs start squealing and they start wigging out and they start losing their minds. And suddenly all of them start running. And what do they do? They jump off of a cliff and they fall into the sea and they drown. And suddenly, everything that is rendering this area unclean, everything that's rendering this area impure, is drowned in water. We have an exorcism. We have a baptism. The pigs, the demons, all of it. The man is set free and the area is essentially rendered clean because of the presence of Jesus Christ. Now, when we hear an account like this, Sometimes the question will come up, why don't we see that sort of thing happening all the time in our day? Why don't we see, you know, thousands of demons being cast into pigs and jumping into the sea anymore in our day? Well, there's something you need to know about the work of Satan and the work of the devils. The reality is that though they can very oftentimes use scare tactics and though uh, possession is something that they will do to cause harm and danger in people's lives, uh, the reality is the devil's goal is not just to scare you. He's not just a Hollywood spook. The devil's goal, his his primary uh, initiative in life, I guess we could say, is to ruin your faith in Christ. He wants you to doubt. He wants you to have nothing to do with Jesus Christ. And if it's going to take demon possession and terrifying tactics to do that, that's fine. But otherwise, he could just distract you. And there's millions of ways that the devil will distract us from Christ. Just to keep us away from our faith. Just to keep us away from salvation. Because you see, here is the good news for you today. (laughs) The devil hates you. And he does not want Jesus to have you. Now, the main area of attack for us, I think, from the devil, is what we would say is our conscience or our faith. The devil is constantly attacking our conscience, and he's constantly attacking our faith. You see, because he wants nothing more than for you to doubt God and to cease believing. Now, before I go on, I want to clarify what I mean by that. The devil wants you to doubt God. By that, I do not mean this, that the devil wants you to uh, ask a whole bunch of questions. No, you should ask a lot of questions. Questions are good. We should question our faith. Uh, And by that, I mean we should ask the hard questions and we should dig deeper into scripture. And when we do that, what we actually end up finding is that we are driven closer and closer to Christ Jesus. There's a very holy and sanctified way of asking the hard questions and doing the hard work of studying God's word. That's not what I mean when I say the devil wants you to doubt. When I say the devil wants you to doubt, what I mean is that he wants you to doubt whether or not God loves you. He wants you to doubt the mercy of God. He wants you to doubt whether or not Jesus actually forgives you for your sins. He wants to confuse you about what is or is not sinful in this life so he can keep you from repenting He wants to keep you away from Jesus in any way he can. So he's going to do kind of two tactics is what I see taking place in our world right now. He will either tell you there is nothing wrong with you. Everything is perfect in your life. You are perfect just the way you are, and you have nothing to be sorry for and nothing to repent of. On the flip side of that, he will tell you, (laughs) if you do have something you feel guilty about, if there is something wrong in your life, well, then you're not good enough for God. And God wants nothing to do with you. You'd better fix your problems. Because you have no place in his presence when you're that unclean and that impure. Your sins, your guilt, the things you've done in the past, too big for Jesus. You better start working those off, otherwise there's no hope for you. See, this is what the devil will do. He's going to try and keep you from repenting in any way he can. He's going to try and keep you from forgiveness of Jesus Christ in any way he can. Because the one thing he doesn't want you to know is this, is that Jesus, you see, he only comes for the impure. He comes for the unclean. He comes for the sinner. And he comes to forgive and set free. He comes into big, unclean, demoniac graveyards next to pig farms. And he cleanses all of it. So this is why the devil hates baptism. And it's why he hates the word of God. Because with baptism in the word, Jesus just storms into the devil's house. He just enters the devil's territory and he takes the whole stinking thing over. And he's not interested in what the devil wants for you. He walks in and he grabs your conscience. And the devil finds him there. and or the, He finds the devil there and the devil's either been numbing your conscience or he's been stabbing it to death. And he sees Jesus and he says, what are you doing here, son of the most high God? I have this one. They're mine. And Jesus just smirks and says, look, I've come to take back that which belongs to me. I've bled for this one. I've died for this one. I've purchased her with my own blood. She does not belong to you. He is mine. What am I doing here, Satan? I'm forgiving this person, and I'm setting them free. They do not belong to you any longer. Why don't you go find some pigs in the bottom of the sea? And so you see, today... This is what Jesus has done for you when he baptized you. Even today, when he comes to you again with his word, he comes to you today and says, despite the devil, you are mine. I purchased you with my blood. I freed you from the lies of the devil. You belong to me. Now let the devil howl and rage, and he will. But I've baptized you and made you my own, and nothing in this creation is going to separate you from my love. For he cannot stand when I am around, and you dwell in the palm of my hand. And so today we, do, we join that man who had the demons removed from him. And we sit at the feet of Jesus and we rejoice. For the demons have been exercised. And you are baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for the forgiveness of our sins. We thank you for the freedom that we have in Christ Jesus because he has conquered the work of the devil and he has set us free. Father, we pray that you would help us to live in our freedom, free our consciences from the guilt and the shame, and help us to cling to your Son, Jesus Christ, who rules over us in love and mercy. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.